where you say you're you're in California, is that right? I stepped away for a second while y'all were talking. Yeah, yeah, I'm in California. What part? Northern California. Oh, okay, okay. Have you yeah, born and raised? San Jose. Yeah. So is skateboarding yeah, but- huge out there? Because I have a friend that I think she I think she's actually in San Jose. No, she's in Santa Cruz. Is that pretty close though, correct? Yeah, that's like twenty minutes. So is there a correlation between surfing and skateboarding pretty much? Yeah. So like most people that uh, started. I probably wouldn't be the, I, I probably wouldn't be the authority on it because I don't surf. So I don't want to like try to speak for surfers, but skateboarding <laughs> um, definitely, uh, I guess it depends on who you ask, right? But yeah. like you talk to those, the guys from the seventies, they started skating backyard pools because the waves were shitty that day, you know? Oh, okay. I did not know that. <laughs> so it was like the concrete wave it's always it's always breaking <laughs> yeah my um i have a, a good friend he was um back in like the mid 90s he got signed to uh the sh- uh, vans you know for skateboarding mm-hmm. and it's my buddy riggs and he ended up breaking his leg in a football game like at school and vans is like well i mean if you can't skate you know we that you know we can't hold good are you because you know exactly because you know at that time vans was just come i mean i don't know if they've been around forever but like started sponsoring athletes and stuff like that and like yeah dude i mean he was like i think he was like 17 or 16 or 17 and it just it just crushed him well it it could be flip-flop too right say the guy got a scholarship to notre dame and he was out skating with his buddies and he tore his his acl and they're like what good are you to us man like he yeah. can't run the ball down the field like later <laughs> yeah exactly it's brutal that's, that's sports that's that's you know that's how it works like you know it, it sucks to say that but you know it's no secret that it does happen you know i mean if somebody can't perform you know if you're a race car driver and you go blind you think that you know Tide Pods is still going to sponsor your car you can't drive? No. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> man, 100%. The next guy. <laughs> and, you know, now <laughs> also... Blind, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, like, you know, now the contracts are written so... That anything that might cause an injury to you, you're not allowed to do. Like... Right. I forget the a player's name, that was a basketball player. Like, he loves dirt bikes. In his contract, it specifically says, you're not allowed to ride any motorized vehicle with two wheels... Or three wheels, and it's like something about you can only drive a car or whatever, something like that. Yeah, but like because yeah, you know because the, their body to protect their investment. You know, they're more interested in what you can do for them than your livelihood, right? <laughs> oh yeah, this is our golden boy. Like, don't break the golden boy. <laughs> so, how'd you get into uh, <laughs> yeah. skating? Um, you ever see that movie, Back to the Future? Yeah. Yeah. The hoverboard. <laughs> That's how I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't somebody um, no, come out with us I, recently? Like, um, they made one. Uh, they, it was like a they keep obviously trying, like a prototype yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and they had Tony Hawk come down and ride it. Someone in Santa Clara or Sunnyvale, which is a uh, like 10, 15 miles from us, but they made this crazy like hoverboard mat, not a mat, but like a almost like a stage mm-hmm. and. um I think it's magnetized or something. And then you can only ride it in that area, but it was nothing like with the movie, like how it worked in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry, Johnny. Go ahead. I remember like growing um, up watching that and I was like, man, this is, I'm going to have to go buy one of these. And then my, my parents are like, it's fake. I'm sorry. My brother was like, brother smacked me. goes, it's not real, man. I was like, 
He's like, no, man, it's real. <laughs> How do you know that? I remember when I okay, another dumb thing. Yeah, another <laughs> dumb thing about me. When I first moved to America, I used to watch um, Transformers, the cartoons, and stuff on TV, right? And then one day I was watching a commercial, and this kid put the underwear on and became a Transformer. I swear to God, I thought I could go to the. I I went with my mom to Target, at Walmart, and I begged her and begged her and begged her to buy me the Transformer underwear because I want to be a Transformer. I didn't know it was make believe. Now they have to put like things in the bottom of the commercials now because of that. Because kids thought of that type of advertising was like literal, and it, it's definitely not. You'd be the type of kid that would uh, jump off a bill and think you could be Superman. No, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't going to try that. But I, re, I still remember this. I came home. I was so excited. I went. I went to the bathroom and put them on, and nothing happened. And I was like, and I saw a crying, like crocodile tears These crying. Don't work. I was like, and I through the underwear and I, I just ran out I ran out to the pool I was man that explains a lot about you man <laughs> yeah I mean I had a skateboard like in the garage kind of thing like my my older brother's like plastic store brand you know banana board yeah and I would like ride it around on my knees or ride it down the driveway on my butt but when we went and saw back to the future that was the first time I saw like um actual like uh, skateboarding where they're jumping off of things and what's funny is the stunt double in that movie uh ended up being my first board sponsor like oh, later awesome. on like yeah like full circle like watching him skateboard made me want to learn how to skateboard and then you know fast forward to me being like 18 or 19 and that same guy felt that you know i was good enough to represent his brand which was like whoa man like you're the reason why like you're the guy like it was really marty you know, but Bob Schmelzer was the uh, yeah. Bob Schmelzer and Per Willander were the stunt doubles. But on the way home from that movie, we stopped at Toys R Us, and they had like the v- toy version of that board from the movie. And I was like, I want that one, Mom. And it was like fifty bucks. She's like, You're getting that one. It was the twenty dollar, like really crummy, you know, Nash board with no graphic on the bottom, and and it was it was terrible. But I just loved it so much, and then saw kids in the neighborhood with like pro boards and I wrote on theirs. I was like, Whoa, this thing actually like moves. Mine doesn't really move. So like the next Christmas I got a board that I really wanted just the deck. And so I didn't know any better. So I brought my old one to the skate shop. I was like, can you put these parts on it? And the guys looked at me like, you, you really want me to put these parts on this like <laughs> expensive high end board. And so like I walked out of there like deflated cause I didn't have the money for the other parts. And I want to say they put my junky parts on it and that lasted like a week because it was Christmas time. And I like cobbled together Christmas money that slowly trickled in from aunts and uncles and grandparents through cards, you know, and ended up piecing together like the right parts for it. But, um, that changed my life, man. That was like a whole other world. Once I got that board and started skating around the neighborhood with the other kids that had like good boards and, and, uh, yeah, that was 1980. 85 maybe 85 yeah i think it was have you done anything else outside old? of skateboarding or has this always been everything uh, no skateboarding is is always been a constant but um i i played music um you know i played in rock and roll bands and punk bands and and all that for i think i my first band was with uh, my brother and his friends um they'd wake me up at like two in the morning 
and they were all in high school and I was like nine or 10 and they thought it would be funny to have me like be their lead singer and just scream obscenities. And that was my, my beginning of music. And that band was called peanut butter wolf. And, uh, later on my brother, uh, teamed up with this MC. My brother was a DJ or he still is a DJ. Um, and, um, this MC's name was charisma, rest in peace, charisma. And, um, he showed charisma, the peanut butter wolf four track cassette demos. And my brother's DJ name at the time was Chris cut and charisma's like, yo, you should, you should be peanut butter wolf. Like that's a stunt. Like no DJ would ever call themselves peanut butter wolf. Like that's the most ridiculous name. Like you should use that name. And so he used that name and now he's, you know, world famous DJ producer, record label owner named peanut butter wolf. And nobody knows why that's his name. That's cool, man. <laughs> but, uh, he founded a record label called Stones Throw Records and put out, you know, Jay Dilla, MF Doom, like some really big names in hip hop. But uh, yeah, that's that's that was my start in music. And then in high school, you know, made made bands with friends. And then uh, I started playing guitar in a band, then bass in a band, then drums in a band because. You know, someone would say, we lost our bass player. And I go, do you have a bass? And they go, yeah. And I go, I'll, I'll learn how to play bass. I'll be in your band. <laughs> and same thing happened with drums. And the next thing you know, I was like the, the hired gun that never got paid. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we'll just call Manic. He can play drums for our show tonight because, well, you know, our, our drummer broke his arm skating or something. And uh, then uh, I started doing ghostwriting for, um, for, uh, for the, the Jackass guys and, and, um, so they would need music for background music for their TV shows or for, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dick House Productions, but mm-hmm. it's run by Jeff Tremaine, who does all the Dick House, all the Jackass stuff. So they they uh, commissioned me to start writing music for their TV shows. So like at the beginning of a season, I'd get an email from my contact Ben over there and he would say, hey, um, you want to write some music? We need like another 10 songs, and, you know, three that kind of sound like this, three that sound like that. And so I'd go to a recording studio and I'd write all the music and play drums, bass, guitar. And if vocals were needed, I'd do vocals too. And then um, it just started snowballing and they started introducing me to other people like, hey, I got this friend over at this other place um, that places music in Europe. Or, hey, um, I got this friend that works for Viacom and we can get you into the libraries. And so when you get into a library, anybody that works at Viacom, like in the editing department, they can say... Um, all right, I got a fight scene I need a song for. And they're in this library that's all like pre-registered songs for Viacom, right? So they don't have to go chase down paperwork to like get the rights to use a song. So they go, all right, I got a fight scene. I need like a punk song. So they just type in punk song into the library and it'll populate their options. And they start tabbing through and they go, this one sounds good. Click, drag, drop into the scene. And then they, you know, edit it in. And it seemed like just out of nowhere, we'd be watching, you know, just, you know, cable TV, you'd be flipping through like the food network or home and garden or, or, you know, ESPN or whatever. And I'd be like, Holy crap. I wrote that song. Like (laughs) they didn't have to ask my permission because I, I licensed it or I sold the music. They buy the music. So it's like being a surrogate mother, having the baby and then just taking some money and giving the baby away, whatever happens with the baby happens. Right. So they'd give me like a flat rate. And then an open-ended contract that they can use it however they want, whenever they want. I mean, they could have used it for a Starbucks commercial 
without me having to say it's okay because they basically bought the music but i keep the songwriter rights so so when you when you produce or when you uh when you write a song there's there's two sides of it there's the ownership and the performance so they would own the ownership and i would own the performance you know the, the songwriting part of it so the cool thing is they wouldn't have to ask my permission they could sell it for a lump sum it actually happened um um to this paint company in uh europe it's like like the kelly moore of europe right the biggest paint company or whatever and apparently they used it in this big commercial that was like on a big sporting event and i didn't know until they came at me and threatened to sue me for ripping off the misfits (laughs) (laughs) so i was like wait a second you fools made like 50 60 grand on licensing this song and now you're coming to me because there was like a, a chord change that like resembled a misfit song and people started attacking them on social media saying, how dare you use a song about like raping mothers and babies and stuff for this paint commercial. Oh, shit. And they had no idea. So they Googled the song and then they see my band covering the song. <laughs> they're like, you did this on purpose. And I was like, no, man, I was like, out of sight, out of mind, like subconscious. I didn't mean to like, it's like two chord changes. Like the rest of the song is nothing like the misfits, but they kind of had a point. But, um, you know, they they weren't out out of bounds by selling that song. Those shysters like they totally made hell of money off that song. And then they had to pull it and they pulled all my songs out of their catalog in Europe because they were scared. Like, what if this happens again? But they got they got totally attacked on social media from like just people saying, like, how dare you use a song about, you know, this, that and the other and a paint commercial. They thought it was really the misfits like wow. the, you know joe q citizen out in the market you know and so these people these are just like suit and tie people they don't know who the misfits are you know and so they didn't see anything wrong until they started getting beat up on social media so the misfits never came after them no one ever came after me i just said like dude we agree to disagree here and they're like all right well we're ripping you know 25 songs out of our catalog but um so yeah the the short answer to your your question is, yeah, I play music too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like not fair. I just realized you asked the question, what else do you do? And yeah. Totally well, it's that. not fair yeah. to you because like they did that because, you know, you just in your creative mind just sitting there doing your thing in the studio, you know, you're not intentionally trying to rip yeah. anybody off. It just, I mean, you know, like I'm sure it happens like, but like unintentionally 100%, it doesn't happen intentionally, you know? If you're influenced by a band, you'll hear that influence. But I mean, there's like 50 other songs with that chord change from the Ramones to, you know, the Dead Kennedys. Like me and the guys over at Dick House were just laughing at that email. They were like, we we had our audio forensic scientist compare the two songs. And then we Googled your your band and we saw your band dressed in Misfits makeup playing the song. I'm all, dude, that was a Halloween show. And we came out unannounced as the Misfits and played a misfit set just like just to throw a curveball to the audience you know like they paid to see us play and what they got was you know our ramshackle rendition of the misfits but the funny thing is if you listen to all the misfits like live recordings are really really bad like the performances the sound everything and so we were like we were drinking beers and we're like we we ran through the set just for fun before we decide to do it. And we're like, damn, dude, we're better than the misfits like, <laughs> yeah. being drunk assholes, you know? And so we, we called the band better than the misfits, That's but awesome. on the flyers, we didn't, we didn't put any like hints that it was going to happen, but like all the YouTube stuff, if you go on YouTube, put in better than the misfits, 
like it'll all populate but we were we were not that great but we we're definitely better than the Misfits were back in the their heyday you know <laughs> as well, far as audio quality well sometimes sometimes like sometimes um some rap do you go watch live like at a music festival like it doesn't it, it's hard to understand what they're saying sometimes but then when you listen to their cd or album or whatever it's crystal crystal clear because you know it's been edited and stuff you know but it's just like man do they yeah. i don't think they should go on the road you know like that's just like <clears throat> because we finally had a music fest again this year after two years of not having it because of covid here in memphis and um like we watched three six mafia perform and I was having a hard time understanding what they were saying, even though I know a lot of their songs and the words to it, you know, it's like, well, what, what happens is, um, there's times where people make a mixtape or they, they get, they get attention without ever touring, without ever slumming it in dive bars, without putting on their own shows. So they're at a disadvantage because their only experience with rapping is like, you know, hotbox in a car with their boys hanging out or uh, on an, on a mic with a producer and they're going line by line, chopping it up or they'll be like, Hey, do this bar real quick and stop. And they listen back. Ah, oh, we can't understand what you're saying. Let's do that bar again. But you know, with like rock and roll and punk bands, it's the opposite. We have less uh, experience in the studio where we have a lot more experience live because, uh, it's just a, a different mindset. We're out touring in a van. We're, we're playing dive bars. We're, 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 we're honing our craft in the live environment, but not as well in the studio environment. So what, what you find a lot of times is um, with hip hop, I may be speaking out of bounds here, but this is just my observation. So go ahead and roast me. But um, with hip hop, they have more practice in the studio and less practice um, out in the wild honing their craft as a live performer so um sometimes that comes later from jumping on a massive tour and just working it out on the road but you know it's not uncommon for someone to have like a really crisp clear recording because they went bar by bar until it was perfect and then you throw them out on the stage and they just haven't had the reps they haven't had the the practice you know uh, where rock bands a lot of times that's the only practice they have you throw them in the studio you can't understand what they're saying on the mic because they're used to like running around and swinging their guitar and jumping around and being entertaining, but not necessarily like you, you can't understand what they're saying. So like I've, pr I produce bands. Um, and a lot of times I'll say, if I need a lyric sheet, you need to redo it. I want to be able to understand your lyrics without lyrics running across a screen or without like having to Google what you're saying. So they're like, yeah, but it doesn't sound, I'm like, you know what? you spend all this time writing these lyrics and if you're the only one that can understand them, what good are they? Mm. You know? So yeah, sometimes you got to compromise swagger for enunciation, which can be a challenge when you're working with an artist. But yeah, I've no, I've noticed that too. A lot of really big acts, they got big in the studio before they got big on the road. And then you throw them on a big festival. They don't know what to do with the mic. They, they're pushing it into their lips and it's muffled. You can't tell what they're saying, you know? or they put their hand over the microphone because it looks cool, but they don't realize the audio quality suffers greatly because of that, you know? Yeah. I know they talk about a lot of comedians have a problem, like, especially I guess here recently, there's been a lot of comedians will put out a special because they can just do it on YouTube, but they're not going to like comedy clubs and putting it in front of an audience a lot. And so then like, sometimes they'll be in like an echo chamber with their boys, like you said, and Oh, that sounds great. 
But then when the public listens to it, they're like, what the fuck is this shit, man? Yeah, and in some of the great comedians, they'll go to they'll go back to their old old haunts that they you know the the open mics and the cellars and stuff and work on material. And then there's guys like Eddie Murphy. You know they're going to make a comeback. They can't go to those open mics because then they can't use those jokes yeah. because they'll end up on social media. You know, but um, a lot of those Netflix um, comedian specials, you know, that could be their their big break or or they could they can they can test out that material and then still use it. But I can only imagine how hard it'd be for someone like an Eddie Murphy that, you know, went underground for so long from, from, uh, from standup comedy and then have to come back without being able to, you know, do some reps in, in, in the comedy cellar, you know, um, or, or a Dave Chappelle that takes a break and then comes back and like me too. And cancel culture yeah. has, has risen up since his last performance and, his 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 comedy doesn't land the same as it did 15 years ago you know i remember watching when his specials came out and i was just so excited to see it now my my brain has been reconditioned to to see things with a different pair of glasses you know certain types of jokes and i was like it was almost like awkward like watching your parents fight like oh you know that's Um, a good way of putting it i never thought about it that way his stuff was funny but it was funny for 2000 yeah you know um in 2020 it just didn't land the same way it would have landed in 2004 just because you know people are more woke now um <laughs> but uh, dave Chappelle knew what he was doing he you know he was just like Fuck, he does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well he um and you know it, it did it still worked it got people talking and it, it got him roasted and um you know in a way it's somewhat genius because it, it got people talking about him, you know, yeah. like, you know, bad publicity, still publicity, you know? And the, even though people at Netflix were complaining about how uncomfortable it made them feel, you know, people in different communities that worked in Netflix, Netflix still kept putting them out. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, yeah. I mean, dang, the Crazy. CEO of Netflix is like, Hey, look, if you guys don't like it, you can resign and that's fine. We're supporting his <sighs> free speech. And you know they, they got backlash over that too, and then finally just kind of dis- just kind of dissipated, went away. You know, kind of like a okay, it happened. Let's forget about it. Come back to work if you want. We love you. Blah blah blah. Well, I think Dave was trying to make a point that like you can try to sanitize things to make make it work for everyone, but that takes away what makes art great. Is mm-hmm. it's not for everyone, and you are going to upset some people, and um, you know if you're not taking risks, then we're all just the same and we're all sanitized and we're all, um, we're, we're all digestible, you know? Um, and you know, you got to shake stuff up. Yeah. Cause I think about, so some- yeah, there were some jokes. I was like, Oh, damn, <laughs> you just go there? Like, oh my God. Well, remember the last special, it awkward. well, it was like two specials ago laughing. or something like that. Um, where there was the one is, is it Dave Chappelle, Tony, where they were driving the car, pretending they're driving. <laughs> and he was talking about like um, LBG, LBGTQ, whatever, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was I was like, holy shit. How is this? Even, how am I watching this on TV? I'm dying laughing. But am I supposed to be laughing? It's like, I don't know. You know, like 10, 15 years ago, I would have never thought not to laugh. You know what that did do, though? It got people talking. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, good, bad, indifferent. Um, it got the conversations going, you know. 
But Chappelle's going to do what Chappelle's going to do. I mean, he proved that when he had a fifty million con- fifty million dollar contract. Was like, I'm out. <laughs> you know, you can't, yeah, there's you this, can't control that guy. There's this one guy. He puts people in like saint status. So basically, there's Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan. Those kind of people are kind of untouchable at a point because they have like fuck you money too. But then there's other people coming up that I guess they're kind of fucked by the stuff that Chappelle and Rogan do, like the little people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how yeah, do you get to that um, point? They're easy, easily smashable. You know, you could just smash them down and silence them um, because they haven't built that kind of following that's going to pick them back up when, um, you know, the general public tries to smash you down. Yeah, that's hard. That's a risky thing, man. I mean, one one little tweet from 15 years ago can still haunt you. I mean, that happened to Kevin Hart. Oh yeah. Supposed to announce what I said, was it the Oscars or something? Yeah. And he he made that stupid tweet about like, you know, if finds out like one of his kids is gay, he's going to do something stupid. And then it came back to haunt him like 15 years later, like nothing. It's, it's just crazy. Like stuff I said 15 years ago, totally different from how I feel now and how I think now and how I process information now. And, um, there's just such a microscope on your past that comedy is probably one of the most scariest, you know, lines of business to be in right now. Your entire career can be yanked out from under you because of something stupid you said on video or in a tweet from, you know, 15 years ago. Um, I remember when Chappelle came out, he's, he, I'm paraphrasing poorly here, but he said something about like, you know, um, things are scary or things are dangerous, whatever. And then he basically turned it on because of you guys, like you guys are what makes it hard to be a comedian right now. And, uh, you know, he made a point like, like it's rough being a comedian because you people can put us up on blast and completely take our entire career and our livelihood away from us. Yeah. You know, like if I was a kid right now, and you're like, hey, you could either be in this field or you could be a comedian. I'd be like, oh, that sounds a little sketchy. Like, that that's risky. Like, at any moment, you could step on a landmine, you know, and just everything that you worked hard for and honed that craft and paid all those dues can just be ripped out from under you. And the whole thing about comedy is, like, it's supposed to be, like, un-PC. That's what makes it, you know, comedy, you know. But then there's guys, like, that can tell jokes without you know, being offensive, like a, a Jerry Seinfeld, like it's like, that's a whole other art in itself, you know, but we like the outlandish, you know, crazy comedians. I mean, that's why we loved Eddie Murphy so much with like raw and delirious and all that stuff, because he said stuff that nobody had the nuts to say, you know, and it was funny, but like raw and delirious couldn't come out today, you know, or a George Carlin bit. Well, I just wonder about like, you know, we talk about how there's PC culture, but then uh, Game of Thrones was one of the biggest shows ever, and it was about, like, savage shit, people fucking family members. But then if somebody writes a joke that's offensive, that's when they want to cancel the person. But if it's in a movie form or, like, a TV show form, it's okay. <coughs> Damn, that's, Naked yeah. girls in every episode. That's how you get away with it, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like you know, I tried watching that show. I got halfway through one episode and I couldn't get into it. I don't know. I wanted to because all my friends were watching and talking about it and I felt left out because I couldn't engage in those conversations, but I couldn't get into it. Yeah, I was watching, um, I'm sorry, um, Eddie Murphy, I, I mean, what Beverly Hills Cop 4 is coming out now. They're making it with Eddie Murphy and jo- the two guys. And like, 
I just wonder if it's going to be funny, funny like it was back, like the first two, you know, because the third one sucked. Like, how are they going to rewrite the jokes this time? Because it's 2022. I think, I, I, I think there's so much scrutiny on it. They'll, they'll make it funny somehow. Well, I know, like, what was it? Coming to America 2 kind of tanked with the audience because I guess they were expecting the original. Yeah, it had its moments. I enjoyed parts of it. I think it was more it meant was for family I stuff. I don't think it was just like R-rated like the original one was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's it, a different it, uh, person now. He's not early right. 20, he's late 20s. Early, yeah, he's a he's a man now. So it's kind of like Howard Stern. Howard Stern is not Howard Stern back in the 80s and 90s. He's a different, he's evolved as a right. person. And I think sometimes we get well, nostalgic with people. A-listers. Yeah. You think if he was raunchy, he would still You're have A-listers? Paul, you wouldn't get Paul McCartney on that show if he was still doing stuff. But then at the same That's time, true. man, I was listening the other day and he, he was doing, he did a bit about like Fist Fest. And then like after that, it was like some A-list comedian. So what do I know, man? Like he's still, he's Fist still Fest. like walking both lines. <laughs> Dude, that was so disgusting. Like, I almost threw up listening to that one. Like, uh, Am I thinking yeah, it right? It, like, it, fist? It, it, yeah. Like, okay. Yes, right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. holy fuck, man. It was a, it was a, it was a, like a con, like, you know, like a fist con. And it's all men in like Leather Daddy in, in a big hotel. And they're putting their fists where you would imagine. Oh, and goodness. Wolfie's out there on site, you know, interviewing people about it and videoing. Oh, so gross, dude. <laughs> um, and then from there, they went to like this really big, you know, A-list, you know, individual and interviewed them right after that. So like in the same breath, you're hearing about fisting and then <laughs> hearing about, <laughs> I don't remember what guest it was, but it was a really big guest. Coming up next, Paul McCartney. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, he got Mick Jagger on there recently. That was awesome. So Mick I watched Jagger say he'd never go on there. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, and he got him. That's like persistence, right there. Like whoever's For on thirty minutes. Damn. <laughs> so you get thirty minutes. You can use it however you want, but at the thirty minute mark, I'm out. <laughs> and so he's like, "All right, getting straight into it." So tell me about. <laughs> I wonder. Like no chit chat. I wonder yeah. if part of that is that, have you heard the whole thing? It's like, who is Howard Stern? Give me Howard Stern. Find me a Howard Stern. Who is Howard Stern? So basically like the Mick Jagger thing, like who is Mick Jagger? So Mick Jagger, maybe not Mick Jagger when he was saying he wouldn't go back on Howard Stern back in the day. I don't know. I think he just saw it as just like, didn't take him seriously, you know? But he yeah, still yeah. has farting shit jokes all day. <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, I like you just Howard said, it's Stern. only like, if you were a celebrity back to 40 years ago, you may not be the same status today. I mean, I don't know. Like, so maybe he's trying to be relative again. Well, we're, we're also just our society as a whole is conditioned. Things that were shocking aren't shocking anymore. I mean, when Jackass came out, that was shocking. Now they have to put like dicks in every scene to be shocking. Even that's like, so like watered down and not shocking anymore because they've done it so much. It's like we've society's just conditioned, you know, especially with social media. We've just, you know, we see more, we're exposed to more and the shock value is gone. Like, what do you got to do next? Like amputate body parts and then reattach them to be shocking. Like, I don't know. 
Well, I guess it's kind of like the shootings have been happening. Like when you first heard about like Columbine, that was a big deal. And then you start hearing about it more and more. It's it's a tragedy, obviously, but people don't dwell on it as much as they did in the past. Yeah, it's a trip. Which that is sad because that's yeah. something that's taken somebody's fucking life. But I don't know. You get desensitized to all things like, you know, going to fist fest with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, was that fist good? <laughs> what, is the, dude, what is the question you can? I'm, go, I'm going to Google this. I'm gonna have to, I mean, go on the, the XM app, dude. Yeah. Go on the XM app and pull up fist fest. And <laughs> I don't think you can make it all the way through it. It's really. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, the reason we got linked up was because um, I saw a reel on my Explorer page of yours. And you guys were, and you were physically making a skateboard in this video from a deck and wheels and everything from scratch. Now, I think the reel was uh, like just the wood. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, like that's what I mean. You were, take, you're, I, yeah, I can't take credit. <laughs> sorry, for you were attaching the, the wheels and stuff. My bad. But like, so that video was like what forty five seconds or something like that. How long from start uh, to finish does it actually take? And can you walk us through the steps to make a deck and stuff like a board all the way out? Oh, okay. I'm trying to picture which reel you're watching. So it showed me gluing all the way down to like putting the final coat of gloss mm-hmm. after it's printed and ready to skate. And putting okay. the logo okay. and stuff, design. Yeah, stuff. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, the whole process for me personally, the way I do it, it can take a few months. <laughs> um, so, you know, you got to source the veneers and the veneers are those really thin plies of wood and um, they're only grown in one part of the world, which is, um, the great lakes area. And the reason you have to get them there is because the trees, the maple trees freeze and as they freeze, it makes the wood more dense and harder. So you can, you can take that tree from a sapling and take it anywhere in the world and plant it and it'll grow, but it won't be hard because it didn't freeze over and over and over. So we have to get the wood from, from there. And then, um, <clears throat> And then I, I get this special skateboard glue. Uh, you can even go to the hardware and use regular wood glue or whatever. But I get this glue and I roll it on almost like painting a wall. Um, and then uh, you roll up all the plies. You can see in the back of this mm-hmm. photo, like the glue dripping out the sides. Um, and then I put it under this hydraulic press that we made using like um, shop presses and car jacks. So <clears throat> I put four boards worth of material in the press. And I crank it down with these jacks and it, it, it applies 80,000 pounds of pressure. And then you can leave it in there for like anywhere from four hours. Some, I mean, on the low end, someone can leave it in there for an hour or two, but that doesn't make it, um, in my opinion, it's stronger if you leave it in a little longer. So you can leave it in for like 24 hours. Um, and then you take it out and you let it cure. Cause now that you put water-based glue all over that board and then it trapped it into the board there's water trapped in that board so you want to cure it for at least a week to let the the water dissipate and evaporate Uh, i have boards that are still curing from like january march because i stack them up and slow cure them to make them harder so it's the difference between microwaving a pizza or going to that brick oven you know fire pizza you know there's a big difference between the two they're both pizza you know, but I tried to be like the one, one man operation pizza place that it's not a chain and it's like, you know, so anyways, uh, you let them cure and then you, you got to find the center line, you drill out the holes, um, you, you trace a shape on it, you cut the shape out, 
um, and then sanding and um, painting and staining and glossing and screen printing. You know, I taught myself how to do a lot of this stuff during the lockdown because we couldn't get out of the house. Um, I started making boards with my father-in-law um, like a few months before the lockdown. So we made like a few just for our friends and, and ourselves. And then uh, when the lockdown hit, I just hit the gas on it because I couldn't leave the house. So every day we were just learning new, new, new parts of the process, like screen printing. I'd never screen printed before. So I just went down rabbit holes on YouTube about how to screen print. We made our own screens from scratch. Like everything we, we use is all like DIY. You can't like go to the skateboard making store and buy these tools, you know, we had to like get creative and, and like watch how factories do it and see how we can like make our own caveman versions out of like two by fours and plywood scraps and try to emulate what they're doing. And then you see other guys like, like us and how they've managed to like, you know, make these tools and you get ideas from both sides, you know, the, the caveman versus the high volume factory. And you try to like, you know, make your own tools like that, but it can, I can, I, I can shape a board and, and all that, like, you know, anywhere from one to five hours, depending on, you know, how complex it is and how many colors I'm screen printing and how much spray paint and dye I'm using. Uh, fits for like a team rider where I'm not selling it. They come over to the house and I'm like, Hey man, I need a board. You know, I could, I could, you know, chop one out and get it ready to ride in like an hour and a half, maybe. Mm but it's not going to be something I would put on my website and sell, but it's going to ride just as good as it. It just doesn't have like all the different, you know, versions of sanding on it. But, um, you know, I can't just glue a board and shape it that day. So that's why I say it, it's, it's a few months process. You know, so what, what you see me shaping could have been pressed like three to six months before that. Wow. wow. I didn't, I had no idea it took that long to make a board. And then not in a factory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they microwave them in factories in a lot of cases, or they use hot presses. I worked at a factory. I worked at a company as a sales guy that had a factory and they would put them in these presses and it was hit with radio frequencies. And in 47 seconds from it clamping down, it would release and the guy would pull the board out and it was ready to shape because the radio frequencies like, evaporated all the, the moisture out of the board and they bring it right over to a computerized router. They call it a CNC. It's like a robot comes down and shapes it out. So straight from the press, it's going right to a table and getting cut. So that's, that's like a microwave pizza, right? I mean, yeah. there's no art in that. It's like, you know, me, I have stacks of these boards just sitting like back here. Just like, come on, dry man. <laughs> what what would happen if like you if you didn't get all the water out of a board? Like, what is it? Would it not stick well or something or what? It would it would be like um, it would be waterlogged. It would be uh, soggy. It wouldn't have that crack and like pop. Um, and then as the water draws out, the boards can like warp and twist. Mm. So you leave the board in your trunk during a heat wave or like, you know, while you're going to work and you're in a, a parking lot that's blacktop and the car gets up to 80, 90, 100 degrees, um, it's going to quickly draw that water out. Just like uh, 
Like if you have a, a back porch made of wood and it rained that day and then the sun comes out and it gets really warm and you see like your deck kind of twisting and buckling when water enters and leaves wood enters or leaves wood quickly, wood will start twisting. So that's why we slow cure them too. So the boards don't twist because that's, that's, that's common in high uh, production facilities. They're doing it so quick. They're cutting them before they're fully cured. They're, the boards, they, they lose their pop or crispiness really fast. But if you're in the business of high consumption, you want them to, you know, go through that board really quickly. Um, there's even like uh, manufacturers have like said publicly on like podcasts, like no kid wants a board to last more than a week or two. It's like, that's not true. Like my customers tell me their boards last two to three months, if not longer. And it's because those extra steps make them harder and stronger and stiffer. You know, it's, it's, it's slow cooked in a smoker, you know, making baby back ribs or a, a roast or, or pulled pork or, you know, throwing it in the oven for an hour. You know, <laughs> They're both the same product, but big difference in, you know, what they taste like and the experience eating it. Because yeah, I remember my buddy Riggs when he when he was skateboarding and Mike and all those guys, um, his board would last him probably like two months, and then he would do some work mm-hmm. to make go buy a new board, you know, or two maybe maybe mm-hmm. two months or maybe a month or something like that. But I mean, he was on it every day, all like twelve hours a day, like you know, like wearing it down. Fortunately for them, we have we still have a store here in Memphis called Cheapskates, and. Um, mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, I don't know if it's still a mom and pop kind of store, but I haven't been in like 20 years, but like they, they, they kind of make boards themselves and like they do all the parts and stuff like that themselves and stuff too. But Mm -hmm. like we were lucky that we was there for them so they could get their stuff there because, you know, there was no Amazon and stuff back then. Yeah. It's important to support the skate shops, just like record stores. Right. I'm, I'm, you know, if you buy vinyl there, it's a whole experience just thumbing through and finding a gem you know you go through the dollar bins or the two dollar bins and you'll spend all day but you'll find that gem you're like whoa an original pressing is such and such that maybe not important to other people but to you it's like whoa that's a crazy find like i just found a little richard record like for two bucks like you get this like feeling like like you got over on something like you know you put in the work instead of just going to amazon searching little richard record just putting it in your cart for 20 bucks and getting it you're like cool but like there's some satisfaction in like going to a record store, meeting other record collectors, talking about records, going to the guy behind the counter and saying, you know, I'm looking for a record. I, I like this group. And they're like, oh, if you like this group, you got to check out this group. Like they only made 500 records back in, you know, 1962. Nobody knows about it. Let me show them to you. Like there's, there's like that connection. And it's the same with the skate shop. You go to the skate shop, um, you know, whenever, we would be on tour skating. The first stop would be the skate shop because that's where you like meet the locals and you're like, so what's there to skate around here? And this kid behind the counter would look over at one of the like kids hanging out like, Hey, you know, Jimmy, go take them to that ramp down the street. Like, you know, there's, there's that connection you don't get on Amazon. So I can go on Amazon. I could buy trucks and wheels and a board or whatever. And in some cases have it, you know, in 24 hours, but like, the skate shop is the one that puts on the local events. The skate shop's the one that puts on contests and demos. The skate shop's the one that brings in the pro team from, you know, vans to do a demo in the parking lot. Amazon isn't doing that. They're not giving back to skateboarding. So like, it's important to have those shops in your community because that's where you meet other skaters. That's where you make friends. That's where you get to like touch the product, stand on the product. There's an expert behind the counter that tells you 
about why that product is different from the other product. So like record stores and skate shops, you know, they're, they're, there's less and less as time goes on because of the Amazons and Amazon provides a needed, you know, um, service, but the hard part is they have better prices because they don't have that overhead, but, and it's tempting to go through Amazon to get that board or those trucks or those wheels. But, um, the more you go there, the less there's that skate shop where you can meet friends, where you can build a crew, where you have that, like those memories are made, you know, that, Tell me about your fondest memory going to an Amazon store. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and none. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. It's like, like I, I go to a skate shop and I met some of my best friends that I still skate with today, you know, and had I not had that skate shop, I might not have known them, you know, had I not walked into that skate shop, I wouldn't have met Marty McFly stunt double who ended up sponsoring me, you know? So yeah, it's like, sure. so th- that skate shop cheap skates is, is like more than just a skate shop to your community. It's a, it's a, communications hub it's a it's a place where you can meet friends it's a place where you can learn about the products and touch the products and a place to hang out on a rainy day and talk skateboarding it's like it's like a coffee shop but skateboarding you know it's it's a meeting place like i remember saturday mornings we would all meet at the skate shop to find out where we're going to go skate that day you know it's like be at circle a at 10 a.m you know and we would all end up there and hang out, have our coffee, eat our breakfast sandwich, and just like wait for everyone to trickle into the shop. And then we'd all just go out on a mission that day. You know, can't do that on Amazon. No, absolutely so, not, man. Big ups to cheapskates, keeping the dream alive out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like, you know, it's like, I remember going to that shop with them and meeting some people too, you know, and some of them were cool. Some of them were just, you know, different or whatever. But like, you know, I would still talk to some of the guys every now and then, you know, after the, all these years of not even skating. And it's just yeah, like, so it's, you can't do that on Amazon. Like you just said, it's a meetup spot, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, no knock to Amazon. I catch myself ordering parts here and there off Amazon just cause it's, it's midnight and I'm in need of something. And I know that I have a busy day the next day and I feel bad for it because you know, those dollars should stay in the local scene because those are the guys that you know throw contests contests aren't free you know those are guys that like promote skateboarding in your neighborhood they're they're actively promoting it because the more you promote it the more skaters you have the more skaters you have the more people that can support your 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 shop so then you can further promote skateboarding it, it it's a cycle you know and you you see those companies like zoomies and i remember copeland sports came into skateboarding in the the early 2000s and it just decimated the the cheap skates type stores the core skate shops that were in it from day one before it was popular on tv and then those guys get pushed out of the scene they created because a copeland's comes in or zoomies comes in and undercuts them because they have the buying power of you know 100 stores versus you know a, a shop like cheap skates or circle a that only has one store or two stores and they don't have the buying power, so they can't get those discounts. So when I worked at a skateboard manufacturer at, in the sales team, um, I learned that those bigger stores would demand what's called distributor pricing. Otherwise, they wouldn't do business with you. Now, you can imagine a, a, a manufacturer going, if we don't give them this pricing, we're missing out on a 100-store order. And these guys will say, send a 1,000 decks, where the little shop would say, send 12 boards right so it's really enticing to 
to sell your soul to the devil and and sell to those shops, right? What we learned doing that was we were contributing to killing those little shops in that scene that built that scene for Copeland's to go, hey, there's a scene here. Let's put a store in here. And distributor pricing works like this. There's skate shops and there's distributors that sell the skate shops and there's manufacturers. So if you're a skate shop and you don't want to open accounts with all these these manufacturers because you can't meet their minimum orders, you call a distributor. And so you can call that distributor and get all the brands all in one box to your door, right? But what you miss out on is the relationships you build with the manufacturers. So if I'm selling skateboards to a distributor, they're getting them for cheaper than I would sell that same exact board to the skate shop directly because they're buying in volume and they have to resell them to the skate shop directly at the same price I would sell them to the skate shop directly, if that makes sense. So an example would be, I'd sell this board to a skate shop back then for 35 bucks. I would sell that same board to the distributors in bulk for 25 bucks. They would sell that same board to another shop for 35 bucks. So the, the going price is 35 bucks, right? So these Copelands and Zoomies and all these big shopping mall brands would say, uh-uh, we're not paying 35. We're paying 25 because we're essentially a distributor. We're buying in the same volume that that distributor is buying them at. So we want it that price. So here's what's screwed up. That shop that built that scene for 20 years, mm-hmm. living hand to mouth, doing it for the love mm-hmm. is buying that board that I would sell them for 35 bucks. Then they find out that Copeland's just opened up in the shopping mall in their town is getting that same board for 35. So they could sell it or 25. So they can sell it for 10 bucks cheaper than the store that created this very scene to get squeezed out of the scene they created because the profit margins aren't the same as it is for Copeland's. And so this kid that doesn't know the difference is going, well, I could buy that Tony Hawk board for $45 at Zoomies. Why would I pay $55 at the skate shop that has a ramp in the back, brings teams into town, throws demos, does contests and giveaways. Like the kid doesn't see it that way. They see it as 45 bucks, 55 bucks. So those mall shops like Zoomies completely squeezed these core shops. And that's why like, you know, for, <clears throat> for those shops that are still going, like they had to fight hard, dude. They had to get really creative to keep the, um, those kids from going to the cheaper place, you know, and luckily Copeland's went under, you know, they, they, they're gone, but Zoomies is still there. And then you see all these online stores that don't have a, a skate shop. I'm not going to name names because that's kind of shady, but there's these big mail orders. If you just Google skateboard, they're like the top five Google sponsored ads. They don't have a brick and mortar, you know, um, but they're doing the volume. They're getting distributor pricing and they're hurting those companies like, like cheap skates because the kids like, Oh, free shipping on orders over 75 bucks and uh, 50% off the second board. If I buy two boards and they have all this, you know, creativity on pricing because they, they're not, they're not doing anything for skateboarding. They're just sucking, you know, the revenues They're but they're not putting on demos. They're not doing tours. Like zoomies tried to do it with like this couch tour thing and have like CKY, uh, going from zoomies to zoomies to zoomies and have Tony Hawk and all those guys out in the parking lot skating these big ramps, which was like, all right, dude, I see you like you're trying, but you're still squeezing the local shops. And, um, it's getting harder and harder, 
you know, those record stores we grew up going to aren't there anymore. The, the skate shops we grew up going to are less and less, you know, they're struggling to survive, but you know, that, that's, that's the reality of it. And then me as a craft board maker, you know, skate shops are like, yo, we want to carry your boards. I'm like, yo, I'm not going to sell them to you for 35 bucks because <laughs> then I make $2 an hour. Yeah. It's like, if you sold to like the stores around you, <clears throat> you'd be essentially giving them to for free because all the time yeah. it takes you, when you, you know, because, my sweat equity. and nobody ever thinks about that. Like, you know, when you, especially on your merch and stuff that you make too, you know, like you have to sit there and press that screen, press that screen printed. I mean, yeah. the t-shirts, the hoodies, all that now. stuff, you know, like, Everything. yeah, I saw, I went to your Even website. Shipping boxes. Yeah. Like I went to your website earlier and, uh, I got a hoodie and a t-shirt and man, are you, do you design oh, your stuff too? No, I have homies that do that. It, so like it's uh, fresh. just being in skateboarding and music my whole life, you can't help but make talented friends, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, uh, they all want to help. And, um, you know, um, a lot of artists there, they, they may not be in the skateboard art scene, but they're like, man, it would, it'd be cool if we could put my art on a board. I'd be like, Hey, I got boards. You got art. Let's do <laughs> yeah. <this."> hell yeah. <laughs> so do but you commission work? The, um, no, it's usually friends like submitting stuff like, Hey, check this out. You know, I made this for you. Um, you know, um, I don't, I don't actively go out looking for art. I mean, my, my DMS are full of like people trying to like, you know, get me to commission them. But I'm like, I like the fact that it's like my homies that are doing art. Cause it just keeps it more our brand, you know, yeah. our scene, you know, keeps it, keeps it like an inner circle. You know, I, I've, I've commissioned a few designs um, w when we first started just because I did, you know, I looked at things differently, but I keep wanting to go back to like the homies that I hang out with that I'm like, man, I should be helping promote your art, you know, not someone that I met on Instagram or something. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I do my best to avoid the commissioning thing because um, I just want to keep it close and keep it with the crew, you know, and I, I have like five or six different homies that do art for us and, um, to keep it like different. So it's not just the same pen, you know, every time, but, you know, I also don't have the, the resources to go out and pay for stuff. Cause it, I'm just not doing the volume. If I was a, a large manufacturer, that would make sense to commission artists because the return, the numbers, of sales versus what you pay to commission something line up a little bit more in my favor than, you know, I, I commissioned some art and I'm still trying to like rebound from that you know? mm. <laughs> because, uh, you know, there's not big margins in making craft things, but you know, we like to do everything ourselves. So then like you get a piece of us when you make an order, you know, you get a, um, Somebody's, I, I don't remember who said it, but like the most valuable thing on this planet is time. It's one thing you can't get back. You can have all the money in the world. You can be Steve Jobs and have all the money in the world. But, um, you know, a disease, a terminal disease took him out. He couldn't pay to get rid of that, you know? So it's like, um, people get a bit of my time, you know, they get a bit of my heart and soul instead of me just ordering product from a manufacturer with my logo on it and then drop shipping it. All I did was make a phone call, email some art and swipe a credit card. There's no heart and soul of mine in that product, you know? Um, 
there's just something to be said that I spent all this time sitting with that piece of art and someone gets to like enjoy it and write it and you know have feel part ownership in it too you know like how often do you get to meet the maker of the board it's pretty pretty rare you know um the factories are typically off offshore china and and even mexico and maybe 20 sets of hands touch that board and for the most part none of those 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 factory workers you know skate so it's the difference between like going to a surfboard shaper and sitting with that surfboard shaper that's got a little like shed in their backyard that they're making that surfboard just for you or just going to a, a Amazon and buying a surfboard, like complete, two completely different, you know, like vibes as far as like, I don't know, people connect with it a lot more because there's more heart and soul and it's slow cooked and it's, you know, it's, it's art, you know, it's rolling art. Yeah. Like on the merch, man, like I was at a hard time choosing what I was going to buy because I liked so much of it. Like you guys, your, your, your homies are good, man. They're talented for sure. I got the hoodie um, with the skull in the middle on the back with the red and blue on each side of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I got that one and I got one of your t-shirts or something. Yeah, a t-shirt. And I forget which one I got, but man, I was like, this is all fucking good. I was like, shit. Well, my apologies. It's not going to get shipped for a few days. Oh, man. It's all, hey, it's all good. It's all good. I, I, liked, I liked the anticipation of waiting on a package, man. Like remember when we were younger, like you order, yeah. Remember like when we were younger, like and you order it, you order something, like over the phone or whatever, and like six to eight weeks, yeah. And and you forget about it when you're a kid, and then all of a sudden it shows up. You're so excited, and you open it up, it's like, oh, what is this? (laughs) You know, like oh man, I never forgot. I would run home from school like Ralphie in uh, Christmas Story, looking for (laughs) that package on the porch, dude. Uh, Mail order when I was growing up, it, it was in Thrasher, and like. Uh, the the advertisement was like a order form. Yeah, it would say like, "Please allow six to eight weeks for the de- de- delivery." And like, what sucked was like that ad came out, and by the time the 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 magazine hit your porch, who knows that thing could have been out of stock or whatever. I'll never forget. Um, Vision Streetwear came out with shoes, and I wanted them so bad, and none of the local stores had them, so I went to california cheapskates which is is now known as ccs the ccs catalog but it was called uh california cheapskates and it was in in thrasher every month and we would cut out the little um pictures of the skateboards and then glue stick them to cardboard and then cut it out and we'd make our own fingerboards by breaking open hot wheels and you tape the axles to the bottom of the board and then put grip tape on top and that that was the original fingerboards before tech decks like you made them yeah and uh I remember going to Cheapskates and ordering Vision Streetwear shoes, and I wanted them in black. So I put in the order, and I put in a, you, you cut it out, and you check the boxes, and put your name and your address and all that stuff. Put it in an envelope. My mom wrote a check, and you put the check in the envelope, and you mail it out. And like waiting and waiting, and like three or four weeks later, we get this random phone call on our home phone. You know, this is the '80s, and it's some, you know stoner dude at ccs all oh hey uh just got your order and we don't have black vision streetwares um well, when are you gonna have them they're like we don't know and i was like well do you have red and they're like yeah we have red and i'm like, cool i'll take red like, all right it'll be 
six to eight weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So similar to your point, like I, I almost forgot about them, dude. And they finally showed up and they were teal. Oh (laughs) shit. (laughs) Cause like, I remember, Oh man, I remember having to save up extra money every time, like every three months, three months I would do this. Like I would uh, wash cars in the neighborhood and stuff like that, or cut, help my my friend cut grass and stuff. And like, because like I used to get them out of the comic books, like on the older thing out of the comic books at the back, like you have to cut it out. And Uh I didn't want to ruin one of the comic Uh books. I'd have to save up for two comic books and stuff. And I remember, man, sometimes I would would completely forget about it. And then you're like, man, what is, is this what I ordered? And you forget what you ordered, but you're like, no, I don't think this is it. You know, and you see, it's like drunk shopping on Amazon. Yeah. And then you see your, (laughs) but you see your buddy with his and it's like, that's what I didn't get that. Well, I don't sucks for you, man. I was like, damn man, shit. (laughs) I didn't order this one. (laughs) Yeah. So how difficult was it to learn screen printing? I'm still learning it. (laughs) It was hard, dude. It was really hard. Like some people say it's easy. Some people say it's hard. I I have no problem like bruising my own ego, man. It was hard. I messed up a lot. Um, But um, in this, this process taught me not to be afraid to fail and mistakes are going to happen and you're never, you're not going to be good at something right out of the gate. And the sooner you can accept that and put that fear of failure out of your, out of your mind, um, the more you're going to try new things, the more you're going to be fearless when it comes to like failure. So me and my father-in-law started this together. Um, and with the help of my wife and my kids, um, you know, they all play a part in this. So uh, it's not just me like alone, you know, my wife screen prints, my wife, uh, helps me with the shipping. My wife helps with merchandising. She'll, she'll find products and materials to print on and stuff like she does her research. Like she's really good with like the garments and stuff and also finding like creative merchandise, like water bottles and just, you know, we were, we were doing this contest and she's like, Hey, wouldn't it be great to get like water bottles and then hand them out to all the kids in the contest. So they have like a water bottle. So she had these water bottles printed up and then she brought a cooler full of like um, bottled water for them to put in their water bottles and stuff. Like she's really smart like that. And like uh, my father-in-law would be like doing his thing that day. So it would just be me printing and he would call me and be all, how'd it go today? And I'd be like, oh man, I learned a lot. <laughs> I fucked up a lot. Yeah. And so he, so I, instead of saying I messed up, we learned to like change our, our, our perception of it. Like, cause you know, you don't learn, you learn your best lessons on a hard day. You mm-hmm. learn your less best, you learn your best lessons in struggle, you know? And so once we started learning that way, uh, we saw it as like, I got the opportunity to learn a lot of stuff today. Like, uh, you need to put white down on a black shirt before you put a color, <laughs> uh, because, uh, you won't see the color on a black shirt unless you put white down first. So you can't just put red on a black shirt. You got to put white and then red over the white and then the red pops. Right. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we would, we would catch up every day. So I had to go today, son. And I'd be like, Oh man, I learned so much today. And then we both <laughs> just start laughing. You'd be all that good. Oh, huh? well, yeah, that good. <laughs> well, it's like the, that, that, it's like that hoodie that Tony has on right there. Like I heat press those, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. I fuck up and he's like, what's how many fuck up today? Oh, you're not talking. He's like, how many did you mess up? I'm like, 
no, I didn't talk about, man. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm good. He's like, bullshit. How much you mess up? I was like, I think I got like two or three t-shirts in the box over there. I have to throw away. Like, you know, it's just, it just, you know, it, it happens, man. Like it, well, we're going to make a trip to the homeless shelter today. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it is, it, it just, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it's money that we don't have, you know, we lose when we make a mistake, but like you also learn at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I mean, if it, if you if trying something new wasn't going to have lessons involved and mistakes involved, everybody would do it. Yeah, and that's what makes us unique is that we're not afraid to try something new. We know we're not going to be great at it out of the gate, um, but that's also what makes it gratifying and fun when you when you pull up that heat press and you peel off that paper and you're like, oh. It looks so good. Exactly. It's like, this looks good. Yeah. yeah this one looks good. Yeah, you get that feeling after you pull up too, and they're like crinkled or it, some of the lettering peeled up with the paper. When you peel the paper off and you're like, Oh man, and then you have to go outside and like take some breaths and like drink <laughs> some water and then come back in like, all right, all right, I'm going to leave it in for seven more seconds than last time. Exactly. You pull it up and you're like, Oh, and you just want to run around the house and show everyone. <laughs> like, look at this one. Look at this one. Like, he's, he's always like, are like you, he's like, are you proud of yourself? I'm like, I, I mean, no. But inside, I'm like, yeah. He's like, you're using an iron, man. I'm he's like, he's like, well, he doesn't say, you know, he's, you know, he's just like, you know, he's like, they look good, man. They look good. Thank you. Thank well, you for the, contributing the to the podcast. On, <laughs> the screen printing on a shirt. It's like, once it's a mess up, um, we, we, we put those in a box. We, as for test shirts, because when you set up a, a screen print job for shirts, you have to um, like warm up the screens and, and, and do some registration tests and make sure things are right. So it's not a total loss with a t-shirt, but on a hoodie, ooh, that's an expensive lesson, man. Yeah. Like, you know, a t-shirt is like five bucks or less. A hoodie is like 20 bucks. And you're like, man, that was a $20 lesson right there. Damn it. But on a skateboard, like um, I, I had the mistakes are more common because the curved uh, concave of the board and the curve changes as you pull. So it, it starts out flat, then it gets curved and then the middle gets really curved. So like you have, it's an art, you know, if when your squeegee doesn't hit the contact of the board perfectly or better than, than, uh, than you would expect um, the ink gets under the screen and then smears all the way down the board. So it looks like you got a handful of ink, slapped it down and just smeared it. Mm, And that is like disheartening. You pull up the screen and you're like, man, I, that felt so good. I, I had all the contact and all the pressure on the squeegee in the right spot. And if it's like the last color of like a four color design, and then that happens, you're just like, Oh my God, I spent like hours getting this all done. And you, you got to wipe it off, man. But that's the difference with a shirt in a board. You can always sand it down. It, it's painful. It's time consuming, but you don't, you don't like throw the board aside and go, Oh, now it's a test board, you know, yeah. or now it's a whatever. Um, on the first color though, you can, since I use water-based ink that air dries, um, I can get like a damp rag and just like wipe the ink off and be like, all right, dude. All right. I got to push a lot harder, uh, this next time to make sure that that rubber squeegee touches all parts. So you, you can get like a second shot at it, but, when I first started screening boards, I would have to pull that squeegee four or five times and wipe it off to get one good one. And now, you know, I've, I've learned 
with practice and repetition that that's becoming less and less an issue. But when we first started screen printing, like I'd screen print like 10 boards and it'd take hours because I'd screen print each board like five or six times before I got it right. <laughs> so I started making YouTube videos um, to help other makers uh, to, to like give back to our community on like tips and tricks on how I do it. it. I'm not the authority on stuff. I'm not like, you know, the expert, but you know, my boards look pretty all right. So I, I help a lot of people with like, you know, how to, how to make a mold for their boards, how to edge route a board, how to, you know, make curved squeegees and how to screen print and how to make your own screens and how to, you know, you know, I don't know. I, I went down so many rabbit holes on so many different channels to piece all my knowledge together. I wanted to make like one centralized channel where someone doesn't have to go piece together and just click through. And I was getting so many DMS from people asking for tips and tricks on how I do certain things. So if I saw a, a, a theme of like the same question being asked, I'd go into the backyard. I'd make like a really, I mean, I'm not great at editing. Like I've, I film everything on my iPhone. Then I open up iMovie on my iPhone and like edit it, upload it to YouTube. But I mean, it's good enough to, to help. So I kept getting the same question. I'd make a video and upload it to YouTube. And then I'd see that question hit my DMS and I'd just copy and paste the link to that video. And I'd be like, Hey, thanks for reaching out. Like happy to help here. Uh, I made a video that will show you how to do it. Um, check it out. And then if you have any other questions after that, hit me up, but you know, watch this first because it, it'll most likely answer your questions. And um, people are really appreciative of it because a lot of the, the skateboard makers, like they, they're not as willing to share their secrets as I am. Um, the way I look at it is like, you know, the more of us, the merrier uh, skateboarding got sold up the river uh, for and it's commoditized. All the products are made for the most part. Um, in these like, you know, factories with, you know, low paid, low skill factory workers, because it became a race to the bottom. Like, well, I can manufacture the board for this much. Oh yeah. Well, I'll do it for this much. And it just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And if you go back and look at what a skateboard cost 20 years ago, the price hasn't changed. Just the quality has. So instead of them raising the prices and keeping the quality the same, um, those, those offshore manufacturing, um, facilities squeezed just like the skate shops and record stores squeeze the u.s manufacturers out of business because the u.s manufacturers couldn't compete i worked for one i watched it happen like um i was selling skateboards to skate shops like cheap skates you know um with their logos on it you know you can go to a skate shop and you can buy their board with their logo on it um we would sell those as well just to keep our factory busy um outside of our own brands and I'd call up all my shops around Christmas and go, Hey, you need another 300 boards. They're like, no, we're good. I was like, what? Like we've been doing business together for years. Like I could, I, I could always count on these, these groups of shops good for at least three to 500 boards for Christmas. They're like, no, we're good. And I went into my boss's office and I'm like, Hey, I just called like 15 shops that always order from us like three times a year. And all of them said, no, nah, we're good. And he's like, all right. He picked up the phone and called one of them that he's like grew up with like good friends. Like, Hey, what's going on, man? Like we, we, we just called 15 shops and all of them said, no, nah, we're good on our manufacturing of their boards. And like, yeah, man, sorry, man. It's just business. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, this like trading company called, you know, like an import exporter and is like, Hey, um, we can make your skateboards uh, for $6 with your logo on them. And they're like, what? Six bucks. Like, 
Now I'm calling around going $21 and this guy's saying six bucks. So all of them just like took the bait, just like the kid going to zoomies for a $45 board instead of cheapskates for a $55 board. So they took the bait and you know, over time they just squeezed, we couldn't compete. I mean, our, our, our product, our materials cost more than $6 plus, you know, we pay insurances and all this stuff and, and, and good wages to our employees and, we have this overhead. We're not, you know, sweatshop labor, you know? And, um, then once they squeezed all the U S manufacturers out of business, they raised their prices up to like $12 or $15 or whatever. But it was a total like, you know, cutthroat thing. And now these kids that are skating today, they've never ridden a, a board that was made in, a, or they may, probably haven't ridden a board that was U S made. So to them, it's just a skateboard but my generation, we rode these boards that were made by um, skaters that would get off work and go to the local factory and, and shape boards because they, they loved skateboarding. And that's how they got into working at those factories, you know? And um, it was all skaters running those factories for the most part. And those kids never got a chance to ride those boards. You know, they, all they know is just what's made. So to me, I'm like, I don't want to ride this thing. Like it's soggy. It, it snaps easy. It chips easy. You know, maybe the truck holes aren't lined up right. You know, that was one of the big reasons why we started making our own boards because we just wanted a better board for ourselves to ride. Then people started riding them and people were like, hey, can you make me one? Yeah. Can you make me one? Yeah. My call my dad and be like, hey, uh, I just got back from the skate park and I let people ride that board that me and you made in your garage like last week. And uh, we got three orders. He's like, what? What do you mean orders? Well, I don't know. They asked if I can make them one. I said, yeah. <laughs> all right, boy, we got to go get more material. And that's kind of how it started. <laughs> and it just spread, but you know, uh, it's a gift to be able to go into the garage and, and have a hundred percent quality control on something I'm going to put under my feet and my son's feet, and my daughter's feet and my homie's feet. You know, you go to the skate park, you see our shit everywhere now, like word gets out, people ride it and they're like, they finally get to ride a board that was made, you know, the way they used to be made and um you know they compare it to that soggy board that they bought at zoomies from a, an offshore manufacturer that is just worried about getting them out as quickly as possible as cheap as possible um you know 20 years ago gallon of gas wasn't the same it is now and yeah you know mcdonald's happy meal wasn't the same as it is now and so why is the skateboard the same you know that 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 should make people go yeah why is that because they they just the quality went down and the skaters are at the end of the day the ones that have to suffer for it when skateboarding was big in the 80s anybody that made a skateboard uh, they made their own so if you bought a santa cruz board it was made by santa cruz you bought a pal peralta board it's made by pal peralta um so each one of those companies to differentiate themselves were trying to make the a better board than the other guy and now it's gotten to the point to where none of these manufacturers for the most part um, make their own stuff. It's all made in a lot of cases in the same factory, the same trading company over in another country. And the only differentiator is their protein. So they get crappy product with high margins so they could afford, you know, the big name pros. And the kids are basically just buying the same board as the other board with just a different graphic on it. So they're buying the brand, they're buying the marketing, they're buying the imagery, the image of the brand. 
They're not buying it because it's a better board. I'll hear kids at the skate park saying like, yeah, this brand's boards suck, but this brand's boards are great. And I'm thinking in my head, they're made in the same place, man. <laughs> like <laughs> you just got tricked by their advertising, <clears throat> but you know, so what we're doing is for the love, you know, it's a labor of love. Yes, we do sell them. We are making money on it, but not nearly as much as a, as, as um, you know, brands are, you know, if, if I broke down what I pay myself per hour after, you know, with my profit, it's like five to $10 an hour. So, you know, I'm in high tech software sales. There's a lot easier ways to make money in that hour than it is sanding a skateboard, but it's just cause I love doing it. And I love, you know, making people happy and people riding the board and coming up to me and like, this is the best board I've ever ridden. Like, dude, that just hits you right in the chest, you know, and being able to teach my kids about, you know, entrepreneurship and, and how, how to woodwork. And I run into, to, to challenges and problems every day in that wood shop. And I get an opportunity to learn that thing. I'm trying to teach my kids, like, don't give up. You know, when something doesn't go your way, you were just given a, a blessing of a lesson of learning something new. And, and there's, they're so young. They just want to be good at everything out of the gate. And I was the same way until I started making boards. So, I mean, it took me 40 years to learn that lesson, but I'm so glad I did. What? So on your video, like on YouTube, is it the screen print or the how to make a screen? Does that translate to shirts too? Yeah, you can print shirts with those screens. Um, the 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 hard part uh, with screen printing boards is the t-shirt screens are so tight. They're like super tight, like a snare drum tight. Yeah. And so you can't get the screen to, to bend to fit the concave of the board. So I learned uh, that from other people giving me tips that you, you have to have a really loose, like wobbly screen. Like when you shake it, you want to see it go blah, 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 so it can fit the board. So, um, you know, I figured if you make them yourself, you can control how tight they are. Um, there's another trick that people use. They get a razor blade and they slice the ends down, down the frame of a factory t-shirt screen. They slice it with a razor blade and then they tape the snot out of it. They just put tons of tape so it doesn't keep ripping but that's how they, they can get it to bend. But, um, you know, I learned how to, to make screens from scratch. I think in the video, I talk about how much it cost me. It was like two or $3 per screen. Wow. <laughs> wow damn. Like go to the hardware store. Yeah. yeah Tony, I was buying it for t-shirts. Yeah. They were like 40 bucks for a screen. Yeah. Cause Tony wants me to get into like doing, printing the our gear and screen printing it instead, you know, cause this feels better. looks better, you know? And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, last longer too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was like, well, eventually these are going to start peeling. And I was like, damn, I didn't even think about that. <clears throat> but like, yeah. That, yeah. I bought shirts on Amazon with like a, a an eighties movie graphic or nineties movie graphic. And then like after five washes, it's just a black t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely going <laughs> to, I'm definitely going to watch your video and I'm definitely going to do it. Yeah. Watch the videos and then you can DM me and we'll, yeah. we'll talk through it. We'll watch the videos first. So what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> what's the difference in the of the length of the board? What 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 is why is that? Because I was gonna buy I'm gonna I'm, I, yeah I'm gonna buy my buddy Riggs a board because we were just talking about it earlier. He's like, man, I haven't skateboarded in a long ass time, man. I need to get back into it. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I got you. Like I saw somewhere like well, eight a lot of skaters. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I saw that somewhere like eight inches long or something like that. Or no, that's a width. I saw it width. Oh, okay. So are they they're different lengths too? 
Yeah, yeah. eight inches long would be pretty small. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like it's a handboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the the board is the same size. It's just the width that's different. No, no, they're no. different in every every parameter. So the lengths, the widths, the the wheel bases, which is the space between the wheels, and the length of the nose, the length of the tail. Um, skaters, a lot of times, you know, after a while, they they build their own preferences, which just feels good. They don't necessarily know why, but they know when it feels good, mm-hmm. but they don't understand why. Um, I didn't either, really, until I started making boards and started learning more, like about the geometries and and um, the science behind certain things. So, um, I have some guys that come over to the house and they're they're like six over six feet tall and they're riding these little boards, and it's because that's what they've always ridden because that's what the market rode. Like a lot of the these these conceptions are driven by the market. So like in the nineties boards were really skinny and they were like seven and seven and a quarter to like eight inch. And if you were anything over eight inch, people would, would tease you and call you old school or whatever. Right. Um, so a lot of these six foot tall guys would see other six foot tall pros riding these little boards and doing this crazy stuff. And so they just thought the market told them that's what you need to ride. So then these guys would come over and I'm more like a, like the Italian shoe, you know, leather guy, you know, leather shoe guy, you know, that sits down with you and asks you about what you want and we craft you something. Right. So a lot of times these, these dudes that are like six foot tall, come over and they'd be like, I want an eight and eight and a half inch board. And I go, and I'd point over at my son's bike. My son's 10 years old. And I go, would you ride that? They're like, no, and I go, why not? Cause I'm six foot four. I go, uh-huh. <laughs> you gonna hit your knees on the handlebars when you try to jump on that? And then I'll, yeah. I'm all, why is that? Because it's not proportion to my height. And I go, so why do you want this eight and a half inch board? And they're like, oh, you got me. Well, you should be riding a nine inch board. And they're like, that's too big. And I'm like, no, man, it's proportion. You're, you have a size fourteen shoe. You're six foot four. <laughs> you're, you're like a bear on a circus bike, dude. And they go. All right, I'll try it. And then they call me like two days later, like that board you you you, you had me ride with the longer wheelbase and the bigger nose and tail and the wider board and the longer board. Man, my my kickflips are so big now, and I'm like, <laughs> 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 that's awesome. You're welcome. You're welcome. A, a You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it takes a little coaxing because they've been riding that eight and a half inch board for like 15 years, you know, and that's they they've adjusted to it. But skaters are are creatures of adjust. I mean, I, you see this, this channel braille that they, they have this, this show on there called you make it, we skate it where you send in like the most wackiest thing. Like somebody sent in an iPad with trucks and wheels and they're doing kickflips <laughs> on an iPad wow. with trucks and wheels, which just proves a skater will adjust. Mm. And so they adjusted to an eight and a half because the market told them they should be riding an eight and a half. But their body strictly says I should be riding a nine inch or a nine and a quarter inch board with a fifteen inch wheelbase instead of a fourteen inch wheelbase with a seven inch nose and tail instead of a six and a half inch nose and tail. And what they find is now they're riding something proportioned to their body. You know, Shaquille O'Neal can't shoot free throws because his hands are so big. It's like shooting a grapefruit. <laughs> like me trying to shoot free throws with a grapefruit. <laughs> but uh, it's like the basketball is driven by the market to be this size. But Shaquille O'Neal's like, have you seen my hands? I'm like, yep adjust 
Wow. <laughs> you know how he shoots. You know he can't shoot. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to either, man. Look how big his hands are. I don't know why everybody makes fun of me when I try to shoot my free throws. Oh, man. Yeah, but he'll dunk on your ass. He'll drive on your ass. Yeah. Massive. So it's I, like, dude, don't shoot. Just run people over. That's your job. Yeah, I saw something the other, yesterday on ESPN or ESPN.com or whatever it was. He didn't know that you could like go to whatever team you wanted in free agency or whatever. He said he would have joined the Bulls back in the day if he knew that. With Pippen and, oh, damn. and Jordan, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Imagine hmm, that team. No shit. Imagine that team. But then I was like, how did he not know yeah, that? Because, so he, he, because he played for like four different teams before he retired. You would have think you would have thought that he had business managers and consultants and uh, even other players in there. You're like, yeah, you can go anywhere you want. Why aren't you going to the Bulls? Why are you going over there? Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, did the guy have like cotton in his ears? His whole career? Like, come on. Yeah, he didn't watch like, 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 like ESPN nightly like pundits talking about like why is Shaq going here? Doesn't he know that he can go? <laughs> you know. Like, those are the be- those are the worst people, man. Like Monday morning quarter uh, quarterbacks and stuff like that, and then like analysts that never played, but are critiquing the player, you know, like. Well, you know that's why they start getting like washed up, you know, uh, out of work, you know, professionals that now be announcers because it's like we're onto it. We're like, no, man, I'm not listening to that guy. Yeah, and then, and then you see like you know John Madden talking about plays with his little pen thing, like he used to do. You know, like. He was a badass, so like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to him. Like, of course, but yeah, you see these people in suits. I've never played a, a one period in their entire game <laughs> in their life talking about stuff. You're like, all right, dude. Yeah, it'd be dude, like us trying to tell something about skateboarding. We don't know shit about skateboarding. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you're all, you why are you run an eight and a half inch board? <laughs> hey, man, you need a six inch board. A two board suit's more big for you. Yeah, like. <laughs> seriously. Don't you know it's lighter? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's also personal preference. So I, 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 I ride a bigger board on bigger terrain and a smaller board on smaller terrain just because that's my personal preferences. And it works for me. But if you went by the science of it, I'm like five foot five with a size 10 shoe. And I ride like a nine inch board on big stuff. That doesn't really fit into the whole science of it. It's like me riding a mountain bike trying to do like BMX stuff. But for me, it works. Um, I feel more safe and comfortable than if I ride my smaller board on something big, like, you know, 10 foot deep pool or whatever, or vert ramp. I want a bigger board. So I feel more, more stable and sturdy, but you know, there's a starting point that you should start at and then adjust from there. So like my friends are over six feet. The starting point is why don't we start with this bigger board and then we can adjust up or down from there. But yeah, the, the, how I typically will size someone up if, if they haven't skated in a long time, and um they've been out of it for a while or they never skated and they don't know their preference yet you know first thing i do is i look at how tall they are how big their shoe is and uh, what they intend on doing on it so if they're just going to cruise around then i get them a bigger board because it's easier to stand on right you ever walk across a log over a river? Or are you going to walk across the bigger one or the, the littler one? Yeah. You know, your brain's going to be like, I'm going to walk across that bigger one. I'm not a professional walking logs. I need to get over that river. I'm going to go to that big ass log. Right. So if someone's like, I just want a board to like ride to the liquor store, or just cruise around, you know, um, and I don't really skate that much, I get them a big ass board because scientifically it's easier to stand on, not fall off. That's why I like a lot of people that never really got into skating ride a longboard 
because it's a big ass board. If you've never surfed before, the first thing they tell you is get out there on a longboard, learn how to ride that. Then you can ride the shortboard. Um, but, uh, you know, if someone's, you know, my height, I'll probably put them on an eight and a quarter to an eight and a half inch board, maybe even eight. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm short. Um, but I, I've just learned my preferences and what I'm, I can perform better on based on my skill set, And, you know, so that's why I ride at eight and a quarter on street and smaller height, you know, ramps. And then if it's something that has like vertical terrain on it, you know, like nine to 12 feet, I'm riding a nine inch, man. <laughs> I don't want to fall off that thing. Yeah. You know, so. There's a lot to this shit, man. I didn't. Yeah, I, I was like, "What?" Because I, I didn't even know that the boards break that often. I just assumed they do. Well, you gotta remember I they're doing on concrete. The skate park. Yeah, go on YouTube and watch what people are doing on skateboards these days, dude. They're like jumping off of like two story buildings. It seems like, what? and I don't know any piece of board that can withstand that. Yeah, there's this guy Jaws. Type in J A W S skateboarding, and he jumps off of like the second story of stuff. Like all the time. I don't know how that guy can walk. Wow. But uh, he did one um, on this show on Vice, you know, Vice TV. Mm-hmm. And it was called King of the Road. He jumped off of something and and it was like off the roof over some stairs. And when he landed, his head, the impact, his head hit his knee <sighs> and he like knocked all of his teeth in, but not out the bone that holds your teeth broke inwards so they basically went to the doctor oh. and the doctor pulled the bone so his teeth were fine it was the bone under it that broke and his teeth went like this and they just pulled the bone back uh, uh, yeah i'm good God bless. the impact was so bad that ugh. did you yeah, have so any really bad injuries scary up uh, with skating yeah i broke my face did you really? <laughs> Jesus, man. I've had three. Uh, I've had three uh, brain scans in the last twelve months. What's the? Uh, what happened with I'm, the? I think I'm on the, the road face. to CTE. Uh, I hit a brick wall. I was trying to play a game of football with a brick wall, and I lost. Fuck. Man. <laughs> it's on YouTube if you want to see it. On yeah. your channel? Just, just put in like. I I don't know if it's on my channel. If you just put in Johnny Manic skateboarding, it's it's the intro to this video part for this. Uh, skate brand i used to uh skate for called sacrifice skateboards and if you google like johnny manic sacrifice skateboards part it'll come up and uh i break my face man i i thought somebody jumped out of the bushes and hit me with a baseball bat that's like how hard i hit i thought that's what happened i said where did he go and the cameraman's all who well that guy that jumped out and hit me with a baseball bat and he's like we're going to the doctors man you're going to the er Wow. Yeah, that was a pretty traumatic brain hit. <laughs> Look at you guys searching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to forget for later. You. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it later on. I'm like, Look dude, that's this. fucking scary, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm nursing a uh, a tailbone injury right now too. It's been since like March, and it hurts to sit. Um, but yeah, I've broken my ribs a bunch of times and. Um, my tailbone a few times and my face and yeah, lots of sprains and twists and, and ligament tears and torn or, um, you know, hyperextended this, that, and the other, but I keep going back at it for more. 
<laughs> my wife gets so frustrated with me. I can agree. I mean, I'm with her on this. I'm with her on this. Like, you know, you know, like that doesn't, I mean, I know you love doing it, but man, like I fell down, I slid down some stairs that when we were in Columbia, uh, couple a month ago or so and i had this big ass bruise right here on my backside for like um, part and power and part of my ass for like three or four weeks when we came back it was like you know dark as shit and that hurt yeah. i can't imagine smashing my face or my breaking my tailbone well, the way, shit. damn the way the way skaters look at it is if you're 100 percent, you're not trying so like <laughs> a lot of the times oh, a man. lot of times when i'm getting hurt that means i'm getting better yeah, fifty cents. Like say, fifty cents said, "Get rich or die trying." Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, if I don't come home with a new bruise or cut from the skate park, then I was playing it safe. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't pushing my boundaries. Damn. It was easy. Everybody do it, man. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I'll buy a board for my <laughs> friend Riggs though, and I'm recording him. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not going to ship for a while. That's fine. Maybe Thursday <laughs> or Friday. Sweet. <laughs> well, we want to take up too much more of your time. We appreciate what you've been oh, giving us so far, no man. Uh, I got yeah, a yeah, question yeah. I like to ask. Um, where do you think we go when we die? I don't know. I I I have a feeling that like I've had encounters that felt spiritual of like loved ones that have passed on. Um, I like to think that this, our, our soul is eternal. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I, I consider myself spiritual. Uh, I like to think that, um, this is just like a, a container. Our body is just like a container. And when our body, uh, expires, the soul leaves and does something else. I'm not sure what it, what, what it does after that, but like, you know, I've, my father passed on and I, I, I've, I have times where I feel he's with me, um, or see imagery of him mm-hmm. or get signs from him. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's a such thing as reincarnation or if you go into another container or whatever, but, or if you know that your soul is still going on, but you know, I've heard so many stories of people that, you know, their heart stopped for a while. And they almost like left their body and were looking down at themselves and then, or, you know, had conversations with loved ones that passed and then they wake up on a, in an emergency room, like, boom, whoa, shit. So I like to think that like, you know, this is just our container and our soul may have existed long before it was in this container mm-hmm. or maybe our soul began, uh, in utero. But I, I like to think that like this isn't this isn't the end. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just our, our container, and maybe from there, um, I don't know. I mean, like, how many generations is my dad's soul going to be around for? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe I only I only see his soul because I experienced it in his container. Like, my great 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 grandparents. I don't. Maybe they're sitting here right now, but I don't know because I never experienced them in their. Mm-hmm container or whatever um so who knows maybe maybe the soul slowly fades away as any souls that it touched while it was in a container i I don't know man 
Like, yeah, I feel it's like a, I should be on mushrooms right now having this conversation. <laughs> it's a it's a trippy way to think, man, because like this life we live, you know, we're just going through it kind of aimlessly sometimes, and then it's like we don't know where we came from, but then we're always thinking about where we're going or what happens when we expire. And it's just like I don't know if we're capable of even wrapping our head around it if they did give us information. And and then I yeah, wonder if know, we would I, do shit I, if we knew. I think we would. I think we'd do things differently. Um, you know, I was raised in a Catholic household where it was like, you know, this this container life is just, you know, the the testing ground for your real life, which is the afterlife. I didn't I didn't really buy into that too much. And then, you know, as I've grown as an adult and a father and a husband and and a son and a uncle and a nephew and all that stuff. Um the way I look at it is just just do the best you can do while you're here right now because this is the only this is the only guarantee we have right now is mm-hmm. we know that this is real. Yeah. We know that this is happening right now. And so whatever happens later is just the next chapter and like try to stay grounded in the moment today and be in today. And like you know, there's some people that look at life as you gotta climb and step on people to get to the top, which is one way to live your life in your container where I subscribe to just like try to be the best version of yourself to others and try not to be judgmental to others and try not to hurt other people and try not to have like resentments and anger and, and, um, retaliation. Um, not because of fear what's going to happen after I feel like heaven and hell exist while I'm in my container right now, you know, heaven and hell, to me are are happening right now on earth and it's my choice which 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 way i want to live while i'm in my container so a lot of people live their life based on what's going to happen after right so you know they they give more than they take they they they're giving back to to their society they're trying to you know almost be like a saint while they're alive mm-hmm. which is great um but I think that, you know, while we're here, we should enjoy our lives, but we should also try to live a life where you're on your deathbed and you look back and go, you know, I did the best that I could and, and touched as many lives as I could and helped as many people as I could and uh, laughed with as many people as I could. Not like, how do I win this game? You know, and like try to be, you know, I could run an Amazon or, you know, try to like be the richest person on the planet. Cause you can't take it with you, you know? Yeah. Um, but what you can take with you maybe is the effect you had on others, you know? So yeah, I don't know what happens after I die. So, but I know what happens while I'm here. Yeah. And, that's, and, yeah. That's, I'm a big believer so on that. Try to help because like I said, you, there's no guarantee as far as we know. I mean, we can't, contact somebody i mean there's people that say they can but you know but i don't know i just think like you said, we, yeah i mean but i, I just think we should do the best we can with this life because you know it's not guaranteed that you'd be a human in the first place and that you were gifted this thing why not do the most with it yeah what what if there is some sort of reincarnation i come back as a blade of grass and i get <laughs> cut by a lawnmower i don't yeah. know yeah maybe we've been grass and flowers hundreds of times I know our container will become grass and flowers eventually. <laughs> that is that true. Is, that's yeah. very true. Damn. Or food for something. 
Yeah. You know, it's a trip is my dad, uh, after he passed away, there was this bumblebee that would come into our front yard, like right after. And it was a trip, like this big, big bumblebee, like the size of like a nickel. And it would come, we planted this tree, uh, because my dad had a bunch of apple trees in his backyard. My kids were really young when he passed, but he'd always refer to them as grandpa apples because, um, my family, I, I was raised in a divorced family. So there's multiple grandpas, right? So to d- differentiate to my kids, when we say we're going to grandpa's, they go, are we going to grandpa George's house? Or are we going to grandpa Apple's house? So <clears throat> when he passed, we planted this apple tree in the, in the front yard and we didn't know what kind of apples to get. So it was like, we were looking at what was called like a Jonathan apple or Johnny apple or whatever. And we're like, we'll get that one. Cause you know, my son's name is Johnny. My name's Jonathan. My wife's dad's name is John. And her grandpa's name was John. And the psychic told my wife she was pregnant when we didn't know. And mm. they said the fourth, the fourth John is inside you. So that's why I, I don't know. Maybe people can't. Talk to yeah. yeah. Damn. And so my wife's like the fourth John. And we always said that if we had a kid, uh, a son, not always, but I think we, we had a decision. Like if we had a son, his name would be Johnny and it's not a junior. Cause my name's Jonathan. So we just name him Johnny. And the psychic, you know, my wife, just for fun, would go to the psychic every so often when she would be in Santa Cruz. And uh, they said, the fourth John's inside of you. And so she took a pregnancy test and found out she was pregnant. Holy shit. Little Johnny. <laughs> yeah. So, so back to the bumblebee. This, this bumblebee would come every day and pollinate this new apple tree that we planted. And I'm sitting out there and this bee would come right up to my nose and just, just hover. And, st- and like, it was comforting. It wasn't like, ah, B, get away. Mm. You know, it it didn't, it didn't feel threatening. And I, I, I call my wife and go, Mandy, come out here, Mandy, Mandy, check this out. And the bee would come over and was like, just felt this like aura of like love. Like it was weird. And I'm all, dude, dad's a bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> so like every year, the, it, I know it's a different bee, but to me, it feels yeah. like it's the yeah. same bee that comes back. Maybe it's re he's, reincarnated every year is a different bumblebee i don't fucking know dude but it comes and it pollinates this apple tree every year that's de- grandpa's apples you know and it comes up and it like non-threateningly just like flies in front of your nose and just hovers there dude and just stares you in the eye and it doesn't feel like you're in danger or anything and we're like of course man dad comes back as a fucking bumblebee dude <laughs> like but every year man came back this year Dude, that's tree. awesome right that's there. So beautiful. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to come back as like a bumblebee. I don't know. Yeah. That's beautiful. What man. do I know, man? No, I mean, like this, I guess it's the, the unknown. That's the, the beautiful part of it. Yeah. All we know is that we got, we got this moment that we're sitting in right now. That's yeah. all. That's the only guarantee. Cause I always you know, reference the lightning can come hit me in an hour. I don't know. But right now I'm alive. You know, I have this. Yeah. I always reference like, we're having a conversation and there's somebody dying right now. So there's somebody mm-hmm. that would be killing to have this conversation we're having right now. So just to be able and to have on the a, flip side, someone was just born right now. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I just someone think we just, should, someone just got it on and <laughs> hit an egg right now. Like, yeah. We should just do the most right now. Just finished. Yeah. yeah. That's it. <laughs> and so my last two questions are, uh, what's your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? My advice for people is uh, don't be afraid to try something out of fear of failing. Um, if there's something you've always wanted to do, 
just do it. You know, growing up as a kid, I, I always wanted to make a skateboard and my pride and ego wouldn't let me because I have to be good at everything. So I didn't, I never tried until one day, uh, I, I just, I tried because, um, I just wanted to do it. And it was a rainy day and I was watching another eighties movie called the North shore. And the character turtle in there is like the coolest dude. And he's always shaping boards. And I was telling my son, I was like, I want to be the turtle of skateboarding. I want to shape boards like turtle, but skateboards, not surfboards. And at that moment, I'm scrolling through Facebook and someone in like a skater forum posted a, a photo of a skateboard mold they made out of concrete. And I was like, whoa, like, it's accessible. Maybe I can do that. Screen grabbed it, sent it to my father-in-law. who's was amazing. I'm like, dad, can you make this? And it's like, yeah, it's just a concrete form. Like we can do that. And just not being afraid to fail. I finally, I mean, I wish I would have done it sooner, but like that journey of making skateboards has taught me a lot about myself, about uh, failures and the failure. It's just a lesson. It's only a failure if you stop trying. So if there's something out there that you've always wanted to do and you feel it's not accessible to you, go on YouTube and see how people are doing it in their house. Something that you don't think is accessible and you'll find it. There's There's some, every... Apple computers is made out of a garage, dude. Yeah. So, you know, it's out there. So that would be my advice to people. Um, what, I, what Mark, I, I want to leave on this, this world is just to make people, other people feel good and, and help where I can. And, you know, maybe inspire some people to, to try to do something they thought they couldn't do because they saw my dumbass doing it in my garage. You know, like, damn, you know, I've always wanted to make a kite surfer. I'll make a kite server because this guy's making skateboards. I mean, I'm watching some guy, a fictional character on a movie making a surfboard, which made me make a skateboard. Like, yeah, you know, so true. but you know, just uh, if I were to leave a mark and I got to choose the mark I left, it would just be to inspire other people to be nice to each other and, and help each other and, and just not be afraid to fail because that's how you learn. <laughs> Hi buddy. My son's waving at me. <laughs> so, that's yeah, awesome I, that I you're doing that, that man. Question. No, that's a good. That's a good answer. Let me ask you one more question. Um, well, it's not really a question. There's this movement, and I think it's great because I wish more people would do it. But you give people their flowers while they're alive, so give people appreciation. So, who is there? Something in your life you would like to give appreciation to? They can hear it. Because I think we don't hear enough nice stuff about us, like. I know sometimes I'll think something nice about somebody, but I won't express it. But generally like when somebody passes and that's when everybody says something nice or you hear something nice on your birthday, but like in everyday life, generally we don't get enough praise. No, uh, over the last few years, my mindset has changed on things like that. And I'm doing a, a much better job about letting people know, um, because of the loss of my father mm-hmm. taught me that, um, that I make sure to let people know how important they are. Like a good example is, um, my best friend growing up, he's still my best friend, but, um, his parents were like our parents. Um, you know, a lot of us came from broken homes or divorced homes and his parents were, he was like the only kid in our group whose parents were still married or happily married. We had some friends that were like, their parents were married, but it, it was pretty sketchy to go to that house. Um, and every time I see them, I remind them of how important they were to us growing up and how um, special they were. And 
his dad passed away last week. Oh, damn. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And it happened quick. Like within one year, he found out he had uh, pancreatic cancer and uh, he passed. <laughs> hey, buddy. He passed um, exactly like, you know, to the month, like from September to September. And we get to be those parents to the kids that come over to our house. Um, my wife is much more, um, um, open to being that parent where me, I need a little elbowing, like, come on, man, like this is, I know you want to relax, but you know, we want this house to be the house that's loud, full laughter with kids and stuff. And she always reminds me, you get to be those parents. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. And it totally like snaps me out of that, like selfish, self-centered. I just want to relax. And, um, so I, I would always tell them like, thank you for being those parents that wouldn't let me walk home at night. You know, no matter if you guys were like in bed, you'd put on your robe and drive me home in high school instead of taking the bus and always having food for us and always letting us stay the night. And, you know, if there was something going on at home, you'd let us stay the night until things cooled off and we can go back home you know, thank you for setting that example. And you guys are like my second parents. And like every mother's day, I would in father's day, I would write them nice notes. Like, thank you. You know, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. And, um, you know, I got to write his mom a letter, um, after she lost her husband, just saying how important they were to both of them, you know, and told her a story to make her laugh about like how last week my daughter had one of her friends over and, um, you know, I was like kind of being grouchy about it. My mom's like, or my, my, my wife's like, what would their mom, you know, dad do? And I'll be like, you're right. So I go into my daughter's room. And we're like, you know, I'm tired. I'm like, Hey, do you ride home? You know, um, it was just cool to be able to get to be them. You know, those parents, like the next generation of them, she really appreciated hearing that. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of times where you don't get to say things until it's too late and, it's like weddings and funerals, you know, the two biggest parties of your life and only one you get to attend, mm. you know, and hear all these great things said about you. So I, I do my best to like, let people that are close to me know how important they are to me. And, uh, you know, after losing my dad, it, it just put a lot of that into perspective. So it's not something that, uh, that, uh, I have a list of people I need to say that to you. I, I think I, I'm pretty much trying to be active about that, you know. That's awesome, man. I appreciate all your uh, insightful answers and and um, your time that you gave us today because it's been enjoyable and informative. Right yes, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's just my dumbass blabbing. <laughs> no, no, it's really thoughtful it. stuff, man. <laughs> I mean, that's the power of the internet. Like, you can have a good conversation like this, or you can fill your life with junk. And I would rather do something like yeah. this with my time. Cause this is good content. Well, I'm, not consuming. I'm not a saint. I do. I, I do fill my life with junk too, but I got to <laughs> stop and pause and go, yeah. Hey man, what have I done for someone else today? Because I, I'm, I'm, I notice when I'm in a grouchy mood, I have to think like, did I do anything else for someone today and didn't expect anything in return? And when I do do that, um, I get that little boost of happiness. Oh, my son's yelling dad. All right. One minute, buddy. One minute. I'm just saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to play ping pong. All right. Well, like I said, we appreciate everything you've given us today and your time, man. Yeah, man. Thank oh, you so thank much. You. Thank you for uh, for your time as well. Oh, one question. You guys um, yeah. My friend, he's about my height, about 5'11", 
It's about 160 yeah. pounds. What size? Yeah. What size board do you think? He's does just gonna. He's gonna he actively skate. No, he's gonna get back into it. Uh, I would say anything between eight and a half and above. Okay. Uh, yeah, eight and a half and above. If, if, is he gonna do tricks or is he just gonna roll around? Hopefully, he's just gonna roll around. He's too old to be doing tricks. <laughs> he's gonna break something again. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm gonna change my answer. Nine inch and above. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate you, so Johnny. I, I have everything from nine inch to ten and an eighth inch on my website. So just. <laughs> Whatever board you think looks cool that you think you'd enjoy, you know, when it's, when it's at that point, it's also got to look cool, you know? Um, so, uh, for me, looks aren't as, as big a deal as the, the dimensions just because of my personal preferences and the tricks I'm going to do on it. But if it's going to be something that they're going to cruise around on bigger, the better. And it's got to look cool because they're not going to scratch it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. All right, you guys. All right, thanks. Have a good, good injurious Sunday. Appreciate you. Thanks again. All right, appreciate bye. it. Oh, check out manicskates.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Where, sorry. Where can everybody find you at? <laughs> uh, Instagram at manicskates, Facebook at manicskates, YouTube uh, at manicskates, and manicskates.com. M A N A K. Yeah, we're going to get on get the YouTube up. and find out how to do the screen printing. So I, I appreciate yeah, that video. Yeah. That's another thing Watch you added the videos to our life. first, then you can DM me all, all you want. I'll help you all you want. I, I get DMs and I end up FaceTiming and going, look, here, I'll, let me set up a shirt real quick. I'll show you how to do it. But uh, watch the videos first, man. Watch the video first, bro. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's like, hey, Raul, don't fucking hit me up. Watch the video first, and then you can take me up. Did you watch the video? Okay. I'm not going to answer. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Bye. Bye, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Later on. Later.